This evening we continue with the Passion Reading, taken from the Four Gospels. Tonight's section is called the Praetorium. When they had bound Jesus, they led him from Caiaphas to the Hall of Judgment and gave him over to Pontius Pilate, the governor. It was early. And they themselves did not go into the judgment hall so that they might not be defiled, but might eat the Passover. Now Pilate went out to them and said, What charge do you bring against this man? And they answered and said to him, If he were not a criminal, we would not have handed him over to you. Then Pilate said to them, Well, take him and judge him according to your law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put any man to death. So the word of Jesus was fulfilled, signifying by what death he should die. The charges they brought against Jesus were, We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding us to pay taxes to Caesar, and saying that he himself is Christ the King. Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again. And he called Jesus and he said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered him, Do you say this for yourself or do others say it about me? Pilate answered, Do you take me for a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have given you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would have fought that I should not be given over to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not, is not in the ways of this place. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? And Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. I was born and I came into this world that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone that is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? And after he had said this, he went out again to the Jews, and he said to them, I find no fault in this man. The chief priests kept laying one charge after another against Jesus, but he answered them not. Pilate questioned him again, saying, Do you answer nothing? See how many charges they lay against you. And Jesus answered him not a word, and Pilate was utterly amazed. He said to the chief priests and the crowd, I find no case against this man. Well, they pressed even more vehemently. He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee to this place. When Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. And when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent Jesus on to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem for those days. When Herod saw Jesus, he was delighted, for he had long wished to see him because of what he had heard of him, and he hoped to see Jesus do a miracle. He questioned Jesus repeatedly, but he gave him no answer. The chief priests and the scribes stood there and vehemently accused him. Herod and his soldiers mocked him, and they put on him a splendid robe and sent him back to Pilate. Herod and Pilate became friends that day, for before this they had been at enmity with one another. Pilate then called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people, and he said to them, You have brought this man before me as one subverting the people. See now, I have examined him before you and have found nothing in this man guilty of any of your charges against him. 
and neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us. Mark this, he has done nothing worthy of death. I will have him punished and release him. Now at the feast, it was the governor's custom to release to the crowd any one prisoner whom they asked for. And they had then a notorious prisoner named Barabbas. He was in prison with the rebels who had committed murder in the uprising in the city. And Pilate knew that it was out of malice that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to him. Therefore, Pilate said to them, Do you want me to release for you Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? The chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. Pilate asked them again, Well, which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they cried out all together, saying, Away with this man and release for us Barabbas. While Pilate was sitting in the judgment seat, his wife sent him a message. Do not have anything to do with this man. I have suffered much over him today in a dream. Again, Pilate addressed them, for he wished to release Jesus. And he said to them, What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called Christ? What shall I do with him, whom you call the King of the Jews? And they cried out, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? I have found no guilt worthy of death in him. I will therefore punish him and let him go. And they cried out all that much louder, Crucify him! Crucify him! And then Pilate took Jesus and he had him flogged. The soldiers of the governor led him away into the praetorium. They gathered the whole band of soldiers around him and they stripped him and they put on him a purple robe. When they had woven a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand, and they knelt before him and they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spat on him, and they took the reed and they struck him on the head. They knelt down and did homage. Pilate went out again, and he said to them, See, I bring out to you that you may know that I find in him no guilt. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I do not find him guilty. And the Jews answered him, We have a law, and by that law he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid. And he went again into the judgment hall, and he said to Jesus, Where are you from? And Jesus gave him no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you refuse to speak to me? Do you not know that I have the power to crucify you, or that I have the power to release you? And Jesus answered, You would not have any power at all over me, unless it had been given to you from my Father. And for that reason he has handed me over to you. For he who has handed me over to you has the greater sin. Well, this prompted Pilate to go on trying to release him. But the Jews cried out, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Everyone who makes himself a king sets himself against Caesar. When Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and he sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, or in Hebrew, Gavah. It was the preparation of the Passover about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, Behold your king. And they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said unto them, 
Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but rather a riot was underway, he took water and he washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this man. See to it yourselves. And then all the people responded, His blood be on us and on our children. Then Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, gave sentence that it should be as they demanded. And he released Barabbas, for whom they asked, the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder. And he had Jesus flogged and gave, them, gave him over to their will to be crucified. The soldiers mocked him, stripped him of his purple robe, put his own clothes on him, and led him out to crucify him. This is the passion of our Lord. I invite you now to sing with me our sermon hymn, Come My Soul with Every Care. We'll sing verses 1, 3, 5, and 6, printed in your worship folder. Your accent gives you away. 
And then Peter began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know this man. Immediately a rooster crowed. And then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And Peter went out, and he wept bitterly. This is our text. Fear causes people to lose control of their senses and often to do things that they would never otherwise do. Like irrational exuberance when it comes to shoppers who stock up on hordes of toilet paper and pasta and beans and soap and hand sanitizer and the like. Or like the man who went into a hamburger shop and he wanted to rob it. And, but he didn't have a gun. So he reached into his pocket and he pulled out a 32 caliber bullet. And he waved it in the air. And he said to all the people that were there, he said, Give me your money, because I've got more of where this came from. And so the cashier gave him the $200. He ran away, but he was caught shortly thereafter. Fear. Fear is not the only reason why we lose self-control. Unchecked bodily desires can lead us to indulge in excessive drinking, binge eating, laziness, workaholism, uncontrollable gambling, sexual promiscuity, among many other vices. Lack of self-control is nothing new. I mean, King David lusted for a bathing beauty that he saw by the pool named Bathsheba, and he invited her into his bedchamber, and there he committed adultery with her. Peter feared imprisonment. He probably even feared that he might have his life come to an end. And so he denied knowing the Lord on three separate occasions, saying, I never knew that man. Paul wrestled with his sinful desires on a daily basis. He says, the good I want to do, I don't do, and the very bad I don't want to do, that's what I keep on doing. What a wretched man I am, he says of himself. Do you have any control issues? Are you in control of yourself? Do you find that you have trouble controlling your tongue? Or maybe your anger? Or do you find that maybe you have trouble controlling some of the vices that I mentioned just a few moments ago? Our current crisis calls for the control of ourselves. We want to be concerned about the coronavirus and its spread and its impact on, on people, but not so concerned that we become paranoid about it. Anxiety is a natural reaction to have when we're in the midst of a pandemic, but we don't want our anxiety to spiral into panic. We want to be measured in our assessments of the impact of COVID-19, but we don't want to be hard-hearted or irresponsible to the plight and the fright of people. Now maybe you've heard the story of a beaver and a scorpion. The scorpion goes to the beaver and asks for the beaver to give it a ride across the river so it can get safely to the other side. And the beaver says to the scorpion, are you insane? Do you think I'm going to let you get on my back? If I let you get on my back, you'll sting me and I will die. Well, the scorpion responds to the beaver by saying, well, oh, come on now. 
Why would I sting you? If I sting you, then I will also die with you in that river. Let's be logical and reasonable about this. And so the beaver reflected upon what the scorpion said and said, yes, that seems quite reasonable. It makes sense. And so the beaver said to the scorpion, hop on my back and I'll take you to the other side. And so the scorpion gets on the back of the beaver and off they go across the river. And about halfway across the river, the beaver feels the scorpion plunge its stinger into its back. And as they are sinking to their watery grave, the beaver gasps, Why would you do such a wicked thing? You said of yourself that there would be no logic in, in stinging me. Why then did you do it? Logic has nothing to do with it, sighed the scorpion. It's just in my nature. It's just in my nature. Is it even possible for us to control our sinful self? Where do we receive the inner strength to resist or refrain from acting impulsively on our fears and on our sinful passions? How do we, how do we remain calm and composed among anxiety-inducing situations? Well, I would say that there's at least four keys Four ways in which we can control our fears and sinful passions so that they don't control us. The keys to being not so much controlled by ourselves, but really spirit controlled. And these four things include the following. First, acknowledging daily our inability to be in control of our fears and our sinful passions. There are times where our fears are just to be so overwhelming that, like Peter, we might even deny our Lord. There'll be other times where our passions, our sinful passions, are just so strong that we, that we do sin and give into them, even against our better judgment. And this doesn't make it right, not at all. We have no justification for the behavior that we have, really. And so, we repent. We ask God for forgiveness. That's certainly what David did. When David was confronted with his sin, he admitted his guilt, and he asked for God to be merciful to him. Peter, we're told in our text, went out and wept bitterly when he realized what he had done in allowing his fear to betray the Lord. And Paul confessed, I am the chief of all sinners, he said. We would do well to also confess our sin when we allow fear to overwhelm us, when we fall into the temptation of our sinful desires. Second thing that we can do is live in Christ's forgiveness. David confessed his sin, but he relied on the mercy of God, and he was told his sins were give, forgiven through the prophet Nathan. Peter was absolved personally by Jesus Christ when Jesus had been raised from the dead. Paul asks, who will rescue me from this body of death? To which he responds to his own question by saying, thanks be to God, he rescues me through Jesus Christ, who is my Lord. Yes, as we sin against our Lord, we fling ourselves upon the mercy and the love and the forgiveness of our God. We know that Jesus endured great hardship, the horror of, of death for us, 
We know that He was willing to suffer on the cross for all of our sins. The sins that we do because of our fears, the sins we do because we give in to our sinful passions, He died for them all, experiencing the horror and the anguish of death so that you and I might live in His forgiveness, so that people like David and Peter and Paul might be absolved of their sins. And we too are included in that number of those for whom Christ died. Not only do we confess our sins and live in God's forgiveness in Jesus Christ as we try to control our our fears and our anxieties and our worries and our sinful flesh, but also we spend time reading God's Word. God's Word has a way of helping us see life through the way God wants us to see life, not the way that we necessarily want to see life. Someone said, your anxiety decreases the more your understanding of God increases. I'm not sure that our anxiety may decrease simply because we know more about God. But certainly as we learn about God and His love and His ways for us, it can help control the anxieties and the fears that we have. It can help us be controlled in resisting the sinful desires of our flesh. We just listen to these promises of God that He makes to us and see if they don't somehow make a difference even in the life that you're living right now. I mean, God promises that He's in control of our lives. He's in control of your life, even when you think that it may be out of control. For He says through the prophet Jeremiah, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a future and a hope. Yes, when our life seems to be out of control and spinning everywhere and we're overwhelmed by fears, we can remember this passage. We can remember this passage and know that God has a plan and a purpose for us. For those of you who might be experiencing hardship and trouble in life, who might feel as though you're like at your breaking point, the Bible says these words, a bruised reed God will not break, and a smoldering wick he will never snuff out. God will not break you. God will not snuff you out. Instead, in the midst of your trials and your hardships, God comes alongside of you and he lifts you up. He says through his son, Jesus, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And indeed, in Christ, we find that rest and healing that we need. Listen to these words of Jesus. He knows our needs and our worries and our cares, and this is what he says to you and to me. He says, do not worry. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothes. Consider the ravens, they do not reap. They have no storeroom or barn, and yet God feeds them. And how much more value are you than the birds? Who of you, by worrying, can add an hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Yes, we rest in the loving care of our Creator and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's why St. Paul can say, there is nothing in all of creation that can ever separate us, you and me, from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. 
I don't know about you, but I find that those truths, those promises of Scripture are, are ways in which the Spirit of the Lord helps me deal with my fears, helps me control my fears, helps me overcome sometimes my, my anxieties and my worries. They're the way in which God strengthens me in my faith so I'm able to resist the temptations of my flesh and not give in to them. There's a fourth thing that we do. We also pray. We pray for the Holy Spirit to work in our life through His Word, giving us the strength and the courage and the renewal that we need so that we can remain calm and composed and in control of ourselves. As you pray to the Lord, as you pray to the Spirit of the Lord, I encourage you to, to really be specific about those things that are causing you anxiety and worry and fear. Maybe you're worried about your job and how you're going to pay your bills. Say that and speak it to the Lord. Maybe you're concerned about the health of someone that you love, whether they have the coronavirus or some other illness, and you, are, you just see that they're deteriorating and you, and you so much worry for them. Well, name that worry and bring it before the Lord specifically in prayer. Maybe you're concerned about the ongoing spread of the coronavirus and you're wondering, what is it going to do to our economy, to our nation? Well, name that and bring it specifically to the Lord. Because as you identify and narrow down these specific worries and fears that you have, these particular struggles that you have, with, say with your sinful flesh, as you name them one by one, it helps you break it down and realize that it's not an overwhelming thing. But instead it's something that the Lord can help you control as he works in your life. Self-control. It really isn't something that we can manufacture. In fact, it isn't something that you and I can manufacture. Self-control, Paul reminds us in the book of Galatians, is a fruit. It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. And so we pray. We pray for the Spirit of the Lord to give us that fruit. We pray, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me, but instead restore to me the joy, the joy of your salvation. And Lord, grant me a willing spirit. Amen. And now may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We're going to take a moment just to pause for maybe 10 seconds as we reflect on the fact that God has been so good to us that we are now going to return our offerings to Him. And for that too is an act of worship. And so we encourage you at this time to just spend a moment in prayer by yourself at home or with your family, whoever it is that you're watching this with, and thank God for the blessings that He has bestowed upon you. And we will then continue with, with prayer.
living your forgiveness, knowing that you have gone before us. Lord, we know that you have not only experienced death, but life as you rose from the dead, promising us that we too, even though we die, will live forever in the new heavens and new earth. Lord Jesus Christ, even as you offered yourself up for us 